you head over to the-apemen.com, you're going to find the website for the band, The Ape Men. They're the band behind the song that we're opening this episode of Monster Kid Radio with. The song is called Invasion of the Ape Men. It's from their album, Seven Plus Inches of Love. This is Derek M. Cook. I'm your writer, host, and producer of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And episode 274 is about Charlie Gamora. Charles Gamora was... An ape man. He was a gorilla guy for early Hollywood, but he did so much more. And I feel like I know a lot more about the guy now that I've watched the documentary, Charlie Gamora. This is a documentary that was released earlier this year online. It's something that I am proud to say that I was involved in the Kickstarter project with back when it was called Charlie Gamora, Genius Monkey Man. It's directed by J.L. Barnett. And I didn't want to talk about this documentary by myself. I didn't want to talk about Charlie Gamora by myself. So I reached out to somebody that I know who makes monsters just like Charlie Gamora. And that guy is Mitch Gonzalez. Mitch is the man behind the recent Mimiverse films. He's created monsters for movies like The Giant Spider, House of Ghosts, The Late Night Double Feature, Danny Johnson Saves the World, and the upcoming where Skeeto, Nazi Hunter, and I probably missed one or two in here. Bottom line, Mitch knows his monster making, and I had a blast talking about Charlie Gamora with Mitch. Not only do we talk about the documentary and some of the things that we took away from it, we also go through a top three list. His favorite Charlie Gamora movies, my favorite Charlie Gamora movies, and of course, we're a couple of monster kids, so we kind of prattle on about monster kid stuff all along the way. It was a fun conversation. I hope you guys and gals dig it, and I cannot wait to get to it. So we're going to play that right after I spin a couple of trailers and such right now. Journey into double terror with the late night double feature with X, the fiend from beyond space and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell-bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. Submitted for your approval, Craig Beam, a 40-something-year-old man-child. In some respects, your typical Pacific Northwest inhabitant, that breed of male who prefers t-shirts to neckties, drinks too much beer, and perpetually sports facial hair regardless of the current trends. But he's also got one foot planted firmly in the global phenomenon known as nerddom. He possesses an unassailable fondness for action figures, funny t-shirts, and cute internet memes. 
And somewhere in the gray, misty region between those two disparate aspects of his personality, he possesses a single-minded and passionate preoccupation. He's obsessed with, of all things, the Twilight Zone. And much to the chagrin of his long-suffering family, he can't shut up about it. And starting this fall, he's going to make you suffer too. Is it a podcast or a cheesy morning radio show? Or some ungodly hybrid of the two? Find out for yourself on September 1st, 2016, when Between Light and Shadow, a Twilight Zone podcast, officially thrusts its awkward and ungainly self upon the world. You'll find it in all the usual podcast places, whether you want to or not. God help us all. A massive monster menaces the world. Threatening the most intimate terror a woman ever felt. Because of an experimenter with life. The incredible two-headed transplant. Who are you? I'm your brother. You and I are now one dummy. Get the guns. was killed up there in the loop last night. A couple of kids claim they uh, saw a giant with two heads do it. Dogs picked up the scent. Come on. No woman is safe from his deadly embrace. Man is safe from his killer lust. Hello, this is Raider Director Christopher R. Min, the master of the Mimiverse. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio with Derek M. Cook, the greatest person I've ever met, sure. <laughs> I am so glad that this guest survived Wersquito Nazi Hunter so that he could be here on the show. Mitch Gonzalez, the monster maker of the Mimiverse. Thanks, Derek. It's good to be uh, joining you once again. You know, I, I know we have some things we're going to talk about, you know, some, something on the schedule, but I got to ask you, how'd the production go? It went very well. Uh, it went quickly. You know, they normally take some time, but this one seemed to go a little faster. I was more involved in this production. The last movie, uh, Davy Johnson Saves the World, I just built a robot, and I wasn't as um, involved in the production as as I was with this one. It was kind of like a small break at that point, and then now with uh, Wurskito Nazi Hunter, I'm kind of back full force. So it's good to, good to be back. 
Mosquito Nazi Hunter is the newest movie from Christopher R. Mamet. It'll be coming out later this year, and I believe there has been a photo or at least a picture of the mask or the head, something. I've seen an image. That is correct. That looks cool. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks. It was, it was fun to build, and uh, it was kind of nice to get back into making latex monsters. Uh, yeah. The last one, it was just fabricating a robot. It was nice to make a monster once again. Man, I can't wait to see it. Anyway, okay. So it's make sure some, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so um, we we have a game that we like to play on the show, and we've done it with Mitch before, but we're going to do it again. It's the classic five. I've got five questions here, rapid style, yes or no, this or that style questions. I've got a deck of cards here. I've been shuffling. Uh, I don't know what questions are going to come up, and uh, we're going to give it a go. You ready to play the classic five again, Mitch? I am. Looking forward to it. All right, card number one, question number one. William Castle or Alfred Hitchcock? I want to go William Castle. Yeah, I love Hitchcock. Don't get me wrong, but there's something just about William Castle movies. They're just uh, dirtier, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say more fun. You know, I mean, I like well, Hitchcock yeah, too. Yeah, Hitchcock they are, is they are, yeah. they are a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Those are more monster kiddish than Hitchcock, anyway. So exactly. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like Hitchcock. Oh but, sure, but William Castle, he, he kind of hits the sweet spot. Okay. Okay. Card number two. Question number two. Favorite actor to play the Phantom of the Opera? Ooh, there's been many, many, many. I, you know, I'm going to go back to Lon Chaney. I have always loved the Phantom of the Opera, that design and that that incarnation, and um, I'm going to go with Lon Chaney. It's classic. Yeah. I classic. Mean, I can't go wrong there. Kind of sort of related to the movie we're going to talk about, or the topic today, too, kind of sort of in a weird way. So. Yes. Yes, indeed. Card number three. It, the terror from beyond space, or it conquered the world? I'm going to go It, Terror from Beyond Space. How could that thing have gotten aboard? Why? Just to kill us? There's a usual reason an intelligent creature kills. It's hungry. What made you so certain it's intelligent, Colonel? Not just an animal. Can't open the door to see compartment. In the silent void of outer space... Puny man matches his cunning against a monster from Mars running rampant, howling for all the flesh and blood on Earth. I, I love that movie. It, it's a uh, you know, precursor to Alien. It's just, uh, again, a cool monster suit. You know, people trapped on a ship, and it scared the hell out of me more so than, than the other one. I think uh, that one actually frightened me when I was younger. This is why Mitch and I are friends. We're like, yep, I agree with you. Yep, you're right. Okay. <laughs> oh, card four, favorite classic monster movie poster. Oh. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's a, that's a tough one to see. Um, I'm trying to think of all the posters here. I, I've got a few hanging in the, in the room. Ah, you know, Invasion of the Saucer Man. I'm going to go with that one. Ooh, I'm going to keep it in, in the Paul Blaisdell camp, and I, they, you know, got a nice couple uh, pictures of the saucer men, and it's just a a good go to one. It is. I've got I've got a little eleven by seventeen one hanging in the room here. So oh, nice. And there's something about the '50s monster movie posters that are just cool. The artwork, it's just mm. yeah. There's usually a nice painting of of the monster, and it's well in this case. The painting is is pretty much dead on, but usually they've always the painting would be a lot better. <laughs> the monster would be pretty hokey or cheesy looking when you finally see it. But on the poster, they sell it, you know, and it, it looks phenomenal. You can't wait to see it. And in most cases, it didn't deliver. But I think with the invasion of the saucermen, uh, it's spot on. Okay. Final card: King Kong or Mighty Joe Young? 
Ah, King Kong. I watched that one more. You know, Mighty Jones good, and it's got Ray Harryhausen working on that. But uh, King Kong is the um, kind of the original, I guess we'd call it. Or you know, it is. Even though, again, what we're talking about today, there there are some screenshots or a screen test from a movie that I would have loved to have seen that have a gorilla in a cityscape that would have been cool. That predates King Kong, but. Uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, so that was the Classic Five. Mitch, thanks for playing. Once again, listeners, I know you're getting tired of hearing me say it. One day I'll make this available for a home game edition of some sort. Just got to figure out the rules and where to print it. All right, so we alluded to it a couple of times, and people who are reading the show notes or listen to the intro know we're going to talk about Charles Gamora. Specifically, there's a documentary that came out. uh, It was earlier this year, Charlie Gamora Uncredited. Yes. Wow. It's amazing how many movies he worked on where you see uncredited right after the uh, the title. It's amazing. It blows my mind, actually. I had no idea, to be completely honest. I had no idea. And I, I wonder if I can, quote-unquote, blame some of that on Charlie Gamora himself. This documentary makes it seem like he was a very humble guy, and he really wasn't going for the fame or the accolades. It's like, you know, I get to be creative. You know, there wasn't a lot of promotion about him now that that I can go back to and say, yes, that's the guy, you know? So I learned a lot watching this. As did I. I I think the the documentary filled in a lot of holes. I had no idea. You know, I I knew Charlie, the name Charlie Gamora, and I've I've seen, you know, movies that he worked on, but I had no idea of the depth or breadth of his his involvement in Hollywood, the early days of Hollywood. Like I said, blew my mind. It was incredible to uh, discover all that. Charles Gamora, I first learned about him in an article in a magazine that unfortunately only only made it to two issues. It was called Big Old Face Full of Monster. Well, I've never heard that. I only got the second issue. I never found the first one. The third one never came, even though they announced it. And there was this huge feature article about Charles Gamora, the gorilla man. And I read that and just like, wow, okay, this is a guy I need to learn a lot about. But then again, there just wasn't a lot out there for me to read and know about other than, hey, here's this listing on IMDb, you know? So I, I still didn't know enough about him other than the guy that put on the gorilla suit over and over and over again. One of the originators, I guess. I don't know if he was the first, but certainly one of the most iconic. In the documentary, there might have been another gentleman, but I think he kind of revolutionized. My take from the documentary was he revolutionized the, the, you know, the gorilla suit, the ape suit. He certainly took it to another level. It's, it's amazing work that he did. It's pretty astounding, just knowing the time in which some of these movies were made and the work that was done, the soft sponge rubber that they were using, the way they made the mouth articulate, the extended arms on the hands, the way he did all of this. Just amazing to me. And his background growing up, you know, this this kid who was kind of on the run from his uncle who wanted to take his inheritance away and, you know, it's stolen away on a ship. It just was crazy. Exactly. You know, ended up in in San Francisco and California, and then migrated down to L.A. And I think what what he was doing sketches outside of one of the studios, and somebody saw his artwork and said, "Hey, we might have a job for you." Brought him in, and and the next thing you know, he's he's sculpting uh, movie sets, <laughs> including some work on Hunchback, which yes. again, you know, <laughs> no idea and we're talking about him being a gorilla guy but he did fine art he sculpted statues and and did these wonderful oil paintings there's a painting in the documentary that he did with his own grease paint his own right. which looks great i thought so I, I looked at it and said hey if somebody had me grease paint and said paint a portrait i would i would never i wouldn't get that close at all no it looks fantastic just amazing so this documentary it runs what almost two hours and yeah, it's about that it's 
basically an expanded version of his IMDP page. You know, this is the movie he worked on. This is what he did. This is the next movie he worked on. And then there's some interspersed biographical bits and some interviews with people like Rick Baker and, you know, Bob Burns, who I also know is a huge gorilla suit guy. That's correct, yes. No, I think yeah. Rick Baker did some gorilla suit acting, too. Wasn't he in the King Kong remake? He did more than a few things. Yeah, he, he did the King Kong remake and uh, Credible Two-Headed Transplant. He was the grill in that. There was a two-headed grill in, in that and a bunch of other stuff. Schlock. He, oh, he yeah. did a lot of stuff. From the director of Animal House. From the dawn of man comes another monster. A beast from 20 million years ago stalks the streets of today. A love stranger than King Kong. A monster more powerful than Godzilla. See, a small California town learn the true meaning of terror. Bananas! Call out the National Guard. <laughs> this is going to be the best sense. See the police and National Guard powerless before the awesome creature. Can't you wait, that's got Mindy? Why not? Can nothing stop it? Can anything stop it? First, birth of a nation. Then, gone with the wind. 2001, a space odyssey. Love story. See you next Wednesday. And now, another monster. There is no place to hide. No one is safe from another monster. Another monster. Another monster. Another monster. Schlock, definitely. How can I forget Schlock? <laughs> Not quite a gorilla, but a, a missing link of sorts. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Was he also in the incredible? Was it the Incredible Shrinking Woman? Is that the one with Lily yes. Tomlin? Yep. That, that's correct. I, that's oh. Baker as well. <laughs> Got played on like Showtime or HBO over and over and over again when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the full movie. All I remember about it is that she gets so small, she gets stuck in a trash comp- or excuse me, a garbage disposal, and she's screaming at the the Mexican housewife or excuse me, a Mexican maid to get her out. But of course, she can't hear her. She doesn't speak English, and yeah, that's all I remember. I don't remember that. That's all I remember. And I, I remember the last shot where she starts to get big and she tears out of her shoe. And that's all. Oh, uh, that might be fun, a fun one to look up someday. I, I don't know. Maybe it probably isn't. But um, <laughs> Just to be a Rick Baker completist. Just oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. What were some of the revelations to you? Like, What, what about this documentary stood out to you? It's like, hey, I didn't know that, but wow, that's cool. I, I think just how involved he was in early Hollywood, how much – he was involved in you know the early formulation of foam latex. It sounded like he he had a hand in, in that. You know, he was involved in some 3D. I mean, it's just amazing. He was an inventor. I'd call him a Renaissance man. You know, he um, seemed to do it all and do it very well. You know, you hear about people like Lon Chaney Senior, and rightfully you call him a Renaissance man because he did you know, acted, did his makeup, did his stunts, all of that. Gamora seems like he did that, and then. You know, even kind of topped it because he was doing all this stuff behind the scenes, making these formulas for foam latex or sponge rubber, as they call it repeatedly in the documentary. I want to know more about this fake blood solution that he makes up that doesn't stain. Right. There was a point in the documentary where they mentioned that where uh, he had come up with a formulation for blood that didn't stain that saved the studios thousands of dollars a year in, in cleaning bills or or just in you know scrapping out costumes. It's, it, he did that. He, he he came up with a makeup that took a couple hours to put on and a couple hours to take off that 
it kind of predates maybe Pax Paint in, in as much as it the makeup would go on the actor and it wouldn't rub off on props or costumes. So he had, he had come up with that way back. Pretty yeah. amazing stuff. It's, it's pretty impressive. And, you know, I've talked about this on the show before and people who know me know that when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I became an adult. And so I made a lot of little movies with my friends, you know, got my video camera together and shot these little horror movies. And there was always fake blood involved. And I always stained everything. So yeah. <laughs> to hear that this guy came up with this, stain-free fake blood solution. There's a a little movie that I made with my brother and my best friend at the time, and it was about a guy who got a box in the mail that had a dead body with a machete and a snake in it. And uh, (laughs) and it becomes this, like, who did this kind of story and just gets this weird kind of existential thing. But my brother was the dead body in the box. And (laughs) the fake blood that I used at the time, because I didn't know any better, I grew up in Cheyenne, Wyoming. There weren't really resources around to learn how to do this. So I mixed hand lotion with red food coloring. Oh, wow. And put that all over his neck and everything. And it stained his shirt, of course. But it also stained his neck pink for about two weeks. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) if I had (laughs) – I hear this stain-free solution for fake blood, man. Sign me up. (laughs) Yeah, I I need to get that. (laughs) Yeah, I need some of that. My brother would have loved to have had My mom would have loved to have had some of that. (laughs) Yeah. You can ask my mother. uh, I've stained the kitchen. I've probably ruined a few rugs. Yeah. you know, bathrooms. It's when I was in the blood phase, it certainly, uh, it leaves stains everywhere. It really does. And what's worse for me is that I'm colorblind a little bit. So I don't see all shades of red. So I think something's fine and not stained, but then my wife will hold up something and be like, why, why is my shirt that I need to wear for work stained pink? Like, I I don't know. I don't see it. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't even see it, but yeah, man, sign me up for that. And he was inventing all this stuff. Some of it seems a little silly, like the uh, the guard that you would put on the shower head for women to take a shower and not mess up their hair. Yes. <laughs> what? what was, that was called the aqua shield. Yes. <laughs> uh, Nobody hey, says how it's sold, but I'm interested now. You know, if he sold a few of those and made a few bucks, they, uh, all the more power to him. Yeah. I was fascinated that he kind of came into his own with the Westmores. I had no idea he had a connection to the Westmore family. Neither did I. And I remember reading a book many years ago. It was a biography on the Westmores. And I'm trying to remember if Gamora was mentioned in it. And I can't say that it was. I'd have to go back and look. It was a library copy, so I don't have it in my collection. But um, I don't remember his name being mentioned. So take that for what you will. Yeah, well, uh, there was that period in the 50s where was it Bud Westmore that tried to take all the credit for the creature when it was really... Yeah, you'd have a a studio head of, uh, you know, the makeup department got all the credit. You know, they'd be listed on on the credits. Of course, you'd have an army of people working under him doing the the actual grunt work. I I mean, it probably still happens to this day, but uh, yeah, that's unfortunate. Uh, You know, like the title says, uncredited, I, I think everybody should get credit. If you do something, you should get credit. I mean... Sure. It's the right thing to do. I agree. So I'm just wondering if maybe that had something to do with why Gamora doesn't get mentioned, if maybe he wasn't mentioned during the time. But, I mean, he didn't just hang out with one, two. Or th- I mean, he was hanging, he grew, lived with four of them, it sounded like. Yeah, like the entire like, Westmore clan. Sounds like Mama Westmore put him up for a little bit while, while he was, you know, getting settled in in, uh, in L.A. or in Hollywood. So. And during that time, he's not a citizen yet. You know, he's working toward getting that to that point. So he's not taking out patents or, or saying anything. This was my creation and protecting it because he's not a citizen, so he can't. So, you know, I'm just amazed that he's doing all of this work and he's still not even a citizen of the U.S. yet and can't take credit for it, like legally or officially. It's just blowing right. my mind. 
Yeah, that's, that's an unfortunate situation to be in. But like you said earlier, he was an unassuming, humble man. He just wanted to work. And, uh, and, and I say he accomplished that very well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, this was an eye-opening documentary. This was a, a Kickstarter project a couple of years ago, I believe. Yes. It's been in development for a while. And I know that a few years ago I got like a Charles Gamora pen in, in a, an 8x10 of him in the monkey suit. So when it finally came out, it was like, yes, you know, I finally can watch it. And it's available online for people to watch as well. And we'll talk about that at the end so people can check it out. Yeah, yeah. Part of the, the packet I picked up, I guess, I got three pictures. And uh, one was <laughs> autographed by Diana Gamora. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, his daughter. And then I uh, got some buttons and um, a T-shirt. So somewhere I, I was going to wear it today, but I, I didn't put it on this morning. So I should be wearing it. But it's a pretty neat T-shirt. It's got some of the famous monsters he made on it. Nice. Yeah, no, he did quite a few. He wasn't just the gorilla guy. On the cover of the DVD that I have, he's sitting there with the gorilla head in his lap. Yeah. But the Martian from World of the Worlds is behind him. I mean, talk about an iconic monster kid movie. War of the Worlds, he made the Martian? And that's where I first discovered him. And really? That's, okay. I I had read an article somewhere where they talked about the production of the movie, and they'd mentioned this this man, Charles Gamora, or Charlie Gamora, I think is how they referenced him, and his daughter had built this Martian overnight. And to go back, I guess apparently he spent some time building the first iteration of, of the Martian. According to the documentary, it was deemed too big, and so kind of overnight they had to uh, salvage what they had and scavenge and make it smaller, so they had to cut it up, reposition it, and pretty much stay up all night building it and working with his daughter to get it done, deliver it to the set the next day, and then performing it. Going back to the movie War of the Worlds, a favorite of mine, and that scene where they're in the um, the farmhouse hiding out, and you see the shadows, and you see just hints of the Martian lurking about outside in the shadows, and, and you know you get glimpses of this and that. And then was it Anne Robinson sit, standing there, and the hand goes, you know, comes into frame and taps her on the shoulder, basically wrestling her shoulders, turns around, and you see this thing. It freaked me out when I was a kid because you know you you don't know what you're looking at or what this thing is you, usually you see a monster it's got eyes and, and a nose and some kind of face it just had those three eyes it, it just blew my mind at the time and and loved it just loved it and it was an amazing design it looks fantastic we've talked about War of the Worlds here on the show I believe it was me and uh, Tracy Morris talked about it a while back and I mean the Martian in that is such a unique and incredible design and to hear the story from this document, this is the first time I had heard the story about how they had to cut it back and pare it down and try to keep some of the same elements but still make it usable on on camera and that his daughter was involved and actually on set trying to pump some of the uh, the air bladders in the piece while he's performing on camera, just wow. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think that's another thing, you know, being young and, and seeing it, you seeing the veins pulsate and the and the air bladders pulsate. Whenever you see kind of that kind of movement in something, it you know it really brings it to life. And since you, you don't have eyes that blink or anything, I think it really sold the effect. You know the movement of the fingers and everything. It, it worked beautifully. Again, just an amazing design. And I think I can point to that point as being my my introduction to Charlie Gamora. Uh, just finding out that he had built that and then kind of going off from there. You know, as a, as a monster maker yourself, do you find yourself thinking about Gamora while you're designing something? I, I love his his design for the uh, the Martian. I also love I Married a Monster from Outer Space. That design, <laughs> that's great. I've, I've always loved that one. It's just so wild and different than anything. You know, it, it's it's got the tubes going to the chest. It's got weird weird things going on that it, it kind of pushes me when I'm thinking of designing something. Okay, the history of monster movies. There's always these neat designs. I try to think outside the box, maybe, and come up with something different. And most times, I don't. <laughs> 
it, it's there in the beginning. You're trying to design something, and you, you want to do something different all the time, or do something that maybe somebody hasn't seen. And and so I think from that point of view, it, it's an influence on me, absolutely. To, to be fair, Mitch, um, I love your monster designs, man, and I think they're unique. So you know, for what it's worth, I, I think you are coming up with some new stuff. I love X. I love the theme from Beyond Space. I think well, I, I, I've said it before. I think I've said it to you. And per- oh no, was it to you? I said I don't know. I want an action figure of that guy. I want an yep. action figure of the fiend so bad. That happened. <laughs> God, I want because that's such a cool little monster. I digress. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're, we're yeah, yeah. Anyway, yes, the, the I married a monster. Monster. Yeah, you know what? I, that design just oh, it's cool. I'm, I'm going to admit something here though. I've never seen that film. Oh, I know, yeah. right? Do you have a copy of it? I know it was in print for a while, and it seems like the DVD went out of print, and you can now. I I see. I think you can purchase it. I think it's still out there. Yeah, I've got it here. And that's the thing about being who I am. I, I don't know if all monster kids have this problem or movie fans have this problem. I will pick up movies. It's like, oh, I've never seen this one before. I need to watch it. And then it ends up in my collection. And it gets blended in with all the other DVDs. I don't there, have that to watch pile. They just kind of get stuck in there. And then I, I forget about it. I'm the same way. I've got stacks and stacks of stuff. And I've got, I've actually have stacks floating around here. But I, I have the, the major collection that's alphabetized that... When I'm putting stuff away, if it's the stack's getting too big, I will file it away and, and almost forget about it. And but there's plenty that I need to see too. There's so many movies. <laughs> yeah, no, there are. And you know, I I used to tell myself doing a retro show like Monster Kid Radio, there's a finite number of movies, so no no problem. No. <laughs> oh they're, they're, yeah. No. Well, just the Mexican cinema I've been getting into recently, and so I've been buying a lot of movies, and that's something I, totally outside of this, but. Just an aside, there's stacks of stuff coming in that <laughs> I'm starting to get to that fill in the big holes in my viewing uh, career, I'd call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we could just get paid to sit around and watch these movies and oh, talk about it. That'd be the best. You know, with the occasional break for you to make one for Chris. You know, other than that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I married a, a monster from outer space. The documentary said he built three full suits for the movie. Phenomenal design. The one thing I really do like about it, besides just this crazy design of the head and body and everything it's the monster wearing pants <laughs> <laughs> i love the look of that that's just i love that oh, it looks great i mean i i've seen pictures you know i i've seen uh there may have been a trailer i've watched and i've seen you know little excerpts being there just never watched the movie itself and yeah the monster design it's pretty fantastic it's just symmetrical enough to be humanoid ish but it's got some stuff going on with its face that it's just so disconcerting <laughs> Right, yeah, I, I love it. It's just yeah. you've got weird shapes going on. It, it, uh, well, I like the tubes and, and things coming into the chest. It's, it's yes. from just from my standpoint, trying to mold something like that, I, it'd be a nightmare. But the fact that he pulled it off and did it and made this thing, I, I love the design. It's just it stood the test of time in my eyes. I, I recommend the movie too. It, it's a, it's a good movie. It's not bad. It, I love it. In fact, again, that was a movie growing up watching it. This scared me because whenever the aliens were coming out of their ship, there was a sound kind of a woo kind of sound. And so you'd always hear them and see them. And then they overlaid optically this kind of glow or the shimmer. It was kind of freaky to a kid. No, <laughs> no. In it, the dark watching the movie. <laughs> it, it has moved its way up to the top of my I Got a Watch list. And this documentary definitely kind of motivated me to do that. It's also making me want to go back and watch a lot of these guerrilla movies that under normal circumstances I probably would not consider I've got to see these films, but there's a lot in here. I mean, a lot of guerrilla work, and some of these movies are probably lost or you just can't find anymore. But I would love to go back and watch some of this stuff. There's some really neat clips and stills in this documentary that 
Wow, I had no idea. I mean, he worked with Lon Chaney a couple of times in The Unholy Three. I didn't realize that was him. Neither did I. I, I had no idea. You know, I'm not a big gorilla guy either, I, um, but I can't believe how many movies, you know, Charlie Gamora was in, in a gorilla suit. And like you, I want to go back and search some movies out. Definitely want to see Unholy Three. I've never seen that one. Oh, that's good. You know, it's, I think the only time Lon Chaney Sr. spoke on camera. Right. It's a pretty and, good film. I think it's playing at a local theater here soon on the big screen. I got to look that up. I got to double check that. But I think I saw somewhere where it's going to be playing. But I do know that that DVD is available. I think I'm going to seek that one out. But it, well, in the clip, they, they have a, a clip of the movie in the documentary where uh, Lon Chaney is interacting with the gorilla, with Charlie Gamora in the suit. And you hear him speak. And it was kind of, wow, I think that's the first time I ever heard Lon Chaney speak. It's, yeah. it's pretty, pretty wild. No, that's a good one. And, and, you know, just going back and seeing the credits here, I mean, you can look them up on the Internet. You can watch this documentary. I can almost guarantee you that if you're a fan of classic cinema, you don't have to be a fan of monster movies. Classic cinema, you will have seen his work because not only was he making these monsters and gorillas, he was just a makeup guy. He's doing makeup on films like Double Indemnity, which is an incredible film noir film. Oh, definitely. You know, I love it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I love that film. You know, he's doing makeup on movies like that. He's doing all this stuff and just, wow. I mean, this guy's career is just insane to me. Just trying to wrap my head around. He worked for Universal Studios, Paramount. I think Douglas Fairbanks uh, Mm -hmm. had some kind of production going. Uh, He's worked for everybody. The breadth of the movies he worked on, it's it's amazing from A-listers down to not so (laughs) (laughs) A-lister. He's been been around everywhere. We don't judge here. No. (laughs) I, hey, if I like a movie, I like the movie. There you go. Period. There you go. Yeah, he did makeup. He did these amazing sculptures for various movies. He, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have some notes here. He did one for uh, like a Hindu goddess. Got that here somewhere. It's just uh, amazing. These huge sculptures, and they're not small. I mean, they're, we're talking, you know, twenty feet tall. Yeah, you know, big, big sculptures. They're big. huge. Yeah, and he was movie. he was a shorter guy. So I mean, I'm just trying to imagine him kind of scrambling around making these big ornate pieces. And, wow. Yeah, amazing. Just uh, just amazing work. It really is. And he was doing set design work for Hunchback of Notre Dame. And that, that to me, yeah. is a pretty big deal because that was a huge prestige production. They dumped so much money into that. And you can see almost all of it on screen. And, that, I, and, with, and with the Phantom of the Opera, Lanchini, the Lanchini version, uh, where he was building a lot of the ornate pieces of the opera house, yeah, a lot of that was Charlie Gamora's sculptures. It's just mind-blowing, and to know that there's this guy who, you know, his monster kids are like, yep, he was in War of the Worlds. He's doing makeup and creating sculptures and paintings for Liz Taylor. You know, he's yeah. hanging out with Marlon Brando doing some film work. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just... Just amazing. The guy's uh, legit. No doubt about that. And everybody seemed to love him. You said he worked for all these different studios. He had an office, what was it, on Paramount, but he would still freelance out to pretty much whoever wanted him, and everybody was cool with it because everybody loved Charlie. And everybody wanted him. He, you know, apparently he was a nice guy to work with. He, he did excellent work all the time uh, and uh, just very well liked. And you mm-hmm. can't ask for more than that. Have you ever seen Ngagi? I have not seen that. I, I do want to see that. The first time I watched the, um, the DVD and they showed clips of that and how they were, you know, at first portrayed it as a real gorilla caught in the wild. And then it came out. There was a little controversy there with the Hayes Commissioner to code or whatever. And they were going back after him saying, you swindled the, the, the audience. It's not a real gorilla. That amazed me. I'd never heard of the movie, so I definitely want to go back and look that one up. I've seen Son of Ngagi, which is completely unrelated. Okay. And it's it's okay. I want to see Ngagi, though. I know that during that time, and you look at the career of people like Marion C. Cooper, who did King Kong, there was this 
kind of adventure documentary style type of movie making that you just don't see now, I guess, unless you're watching like a, just a documentary channel or something on TV. Right. So I'm curious to see how Ngagi holds up to some of the Marion C. Cooper stuff like Grass or things like that. I, I would like to see it as well. Again, it's the one that I haven't seen. But, you know, the, the Haze Code got so upset that they were passing it off. Like, <laughs> it's like yeah. that wouldn't happen today. That, that's not, I mean, wow. That's, the film industry was different back then, I guess. Well, even I think the audience uh, was different because film was fairly new. I think the documentary mentioned that it fooled audiences and scientists. I, I would have a hard time thinking a scientist would think that was a, a real gorilla. But I think the way they filmed it from a camp, what I could see, the camera's kind of far away. And, and Charlie Gamora is a great actor, so he's really selling it. And uh, maybe they would have mistaken it. At that time, you probably didn't, you know, like now we can look up anything on the Internet or see anything. But back then, probably very difficult unless you went to a zoo to see what a real girl looked like. Which he did for a number of projects. He would go and well, watch. Well, he did that, certainly. You know? He uh, visited the zoo and, and really uh, watched and uh, studied the mannerisms of gorillas and, and really brought that to his performance. It, it's so amazing to me. You know, you hear about Lon Chaney Sr. You know, he his parents were deaf-mutes, or not deaf-mutes, I'm sorry. Well, no, yeah, they were deaf-mutes, yeah, they were, right? Yeah, so yeah. to communicate with his parents, he had to do a lot of miming, and that's where a lot of his physical acting came from. That's not in Charlie Gamora's background at all. No, no, not at all. But I think, like the the documentary alluded to, he spent time watching gorillas. There was something too where I, I know he spent some time with Lon Chaney, and I think they touched on that on on how Lon Chaney used that um, his back in his background and, and something with Charlie Gamora, you know, working with Lon Chaney too. So um, I'd have to go back and look at that again. Sure. But, but I know he spent did spend time at a at a uh, at a zoo watching gorillas and mm-hmm. watching what they do. In that he did the serious gorilla movies, he did the comedies, he did a oh, he, Little Rascals, oh, he did Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, Bob Hope and you know the, the road movies of Bob Hope and Bing Crosby. <laughs> yeah. Again, I had no idea that was him. None. I didn't either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did some Tarzans in there. It's just, wow. I got to say, you know, I, I kind of almost feel like a fraud talking about the guy. Before the documentary, I had no idea what this guy did. Yeah. And again, it goes to that, that title of the documentary, Uncredited, because um, just by the fact that for whatever reason, you know, he wasn't credited in a lot of the early work. I had no idea. It's a shame and it blows my mind, but uh, I'm glad to catch up. It's a fascinating look at early Hollywood and how things were kind of working out and just not just the filmmaking part of it, but the community itself and, and the behind the scenes and how people work together or didn't work together. And just so amazing to think about. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love these older movies. Anyway, is you get to kind of look at, you know, what Hollywood was like, what society was like back then. And that's just fascinating to the history nerd in me. But he saw so much of it in a relatively short life, too. I had no idea he died so young. Very sad to hear, you know, I think it was 58 when he passed yeah. away. So, yeah, that's that's very short. And I think in his life, he crammed so much. He did so many things. It's mind-boggling. For such a short period of time, really, in the industry, he impacted and affected and, and changed so much the way he did the sponge rubber or the foam rubber, the way he articulated the gorilla mask. I mean, that's that had to have been groundbreaking and mind-blowing back then, the way he did that. I mean, these days it's kind of like, well, whatever, that's what they do, but if it's not CG. But back then, I'm trying to imagine, you know, the first time somebody saw that and understood how it worked, just... I agree with you on that. I think, uh, again, going back to the Ngagi, how, you know, fooled scientists, well, you know, at that time, I'm sure... The articulation of a mask, it wasn't as um, prominent. And so you see this gorilla opening and closing his mouth and curling lips back and, you know, 
kind of growling and bearing, bearing teeth, that blew a lot of minds, I think. And, uh, and I think he, it, it said that he was the first one to articulate a, a gorilla head. An amazing engineering feat at that time to, to get that on film. Sure. And the gorilla suit kept – the technology kept evolving. His technology kept evolving. Oh, yeah. And, you know, later yeah. on in the, in the progression of the gorilla suits, they're showing – well, and here's where you put in some hot water bottles in his stomach to give it that kind of natural weight. And it's just like, yeah, exactly. Who, who would have thought of that? Who, why don't you think that just, man. Yeah. It blows my mind. It just, he was right there in the forefront. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, not to take away from any other makeup artists or special effects of practitioners. So you always hear of, of the other names sharing their secrets and this and that, but sounds like Charlie was kind of ahead of the curve on that. He pointed a documentary where the four Westmore brothers were kind of um, feuding over uh, the rubber formula that Charlie came up with almost. And, and I think he said, hey, we got to share this with everybody. So, you know, he, the guy was certainly on the forefront of um, a lot of innovation. Uh, I'll be honest, and maybe this is just a little bit of prejudice thinking in, but when I had heard the, that bit about the Westmore's kind of feuding, it was like, oh, of course they are. I just going to roll my eyes. I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, and not that I've ever met any of the Westmore's or anything. And, you know, I like watching Mackenzie Westmore on Face Off on the Sci-Fi Channel just fine. Uh, Michael Westmore seems like a cool dude. I think I'm friends with him on Facebook, but yeah, of course the Westmores were feuding over who owned what. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That, that's like I said. I read that biography uh, years ago, and uh, they did their thing. <laughs> yeah, although they were super influential as well, and incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, very important to the history of makeup. So very, very, very important. Yeah, don't don't think that I'm. Yeah, that's no. why I'm not taking away from anybody. I'm just saying. Yes. That- this poor gentleman uh, didn't get the credit I think he deserved. And uh, and now, I think with this documentary being out, and I hope people do take a look at it, and I think they'll be shocked and surprised. And like myself, I want to go out and see a bunch of movies now that I'd never seen or, or were aware of. Which is good because you probably ran out of movies to watch, right? You've got nothing else to watch? Yeah, I, I'm kind of coming up dry here now. Oh, right. <laughs> There's one movie in particular they talked about called uh, The Gorilla. There was an early version of it, then they remade it, but I don't think it ever got finished, but they were looking at this one scene in the documentary where he's in the gorilla soup, he's walking through almost kaiju style a town or you know, like a, city, a cityscape, yeah. Cityscape with the with the with the skyscrapers and that's pretty interesting. Neat to see. It was neat to see and it predates King Kong. Wow, that's kinda wild. Yeah, uh, King Kong with stop motion is that's one thing, but seeing uh, you know the suit kind of going through it, it predated Kaiju by quite a bit too. Oh, certainly, yeah. I mean, Godzilla didn't come around until what fifty four. Yeah, so King Kong's what thirty three. Yeah, to see something just a couple of years before that. Yeah, nineteen thirty. Yeah, it's just is wild to see, and I think laying ground for for a lot of future stuff there that came through. Really did. I'd like to know more about. What happened with that? Who worked on it? Why it didn't get finished? Who saw the footage afterwards? Precisely, you yeah, know, yeah. And just kind of track that and see where it went. Yeah, yeah. Now, we've said repeatedly, there are a lot of Gamora films that we have not seen that we want to go back and watch. We've seen quite a few. Yes, I, mean, <laughs> I agree with you on that. We might not have known it was a Gamora film when we saw it, but we've That's seen... That's I did. It's like, wow, he was in that? They mentioned him doing some work on The Good Earth. I'm like, wow. That, that, that's a movie they made me watch in junior high school. That's... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, you know, it's just fascinating. So I thought it would be fun if we did, like, one of our top threes. We do top threes here on the show every once in a while. This one's going to be a little bit more difficult for me because I don't have the, the experience with Gamora that I'd like at this point. But I thought we'd give it a shot, do a top three countdown. I'll, I'll go first so that we can end on Mitch since he's a guest. Just like you, I picked the ones that I was really familiar with. So mm-hmm. let's do it. I'm, I'm ready to go. So my number three is going to be one that... I really enjoy, but I had no idea Gamora was involved with in any way 
shape or form, but apparently he did some creature design on 1958's Curse of the Faceless Man, which is a fun little uh, mummy-style movie. I love me a mummy movie. Directed by Edward Kahn. You know, I, I love this kind of stuff. To know that he was involved in that? Well, now I love the movie even more. Volcanic Fury of Vesuvius. From the ravaged city of Pompeii, across 2,000 years, comes one of the strangest mysteries of all time. The Curse of the Faceless Man. spanned the centuries, crossed the dividing line between yesterday and today, between the past and the present, even between life and death. So I'm going to go with Curse of the Faceless Man for my third pick for my number three in my countdown. Are you familiar with the film? I, I am familiar with it. I've never seen that one. Oh, okay. That's one that I've never seen. I think as a Kino Lorber put out a Blu-ray of that recently. I was going to mention, yeah, it just came out on Blue as a... I don't know if they did a lot of restoration on it, but really there's a commentary track on it. I haven't watched it or listened to that yet, but yeah, no, it's out on Blue, so you can get your hands on it. Before it was just released, it was on a um, kind of manufactured DVD. I think you can get it through, I don't know if it was MGM or somewhere. Yeah, one but of them. With the Blue, I'm going to definitely get that. I hadn't purchased it yet, so I'm kind of glad I waited, so I'm going to pick it up on Blue. My third pick was a movie I recently saw last October. I got to see it on a big screen uh, at a local at, at the, the Heights Theater uh, in, in Columbia Heights, Minnesota. That's where we have our premieres. They um, showed Doctor Cyclops on the big screen. Oh, nice! So I got to see that, and again, I didn't know Charlie really had anything to do with this movie. He did some special effects work on it. You know, the big giant hand that interacts with the mm-hmm. the, the actors. He built that or had something to do with that. The documentary has a nice picture of, of it showing it on the set. Charlie Gamora's kind of stand off the side, but um, Dr. Cyclops, is a, is a, I enjoyed that movie. I'll pick that as number three. Right on. No, that's a cool little film. Yeah. And you're right, yeah, the, the giant hand is just cool. I mean, again, these movies are just cool, and knowing that he was involved in these, it's like, oh, of course it's cool now that we know who Gamora was and how important he was. So of course it's cool. You see a, a hand, like, attack a fifth-foot woman, <laughs> and then yeah. you see the hand in Dr. Cyclops, and it's night and day. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the hand was really well done in Dr. Cyclops, and for the time, I mean, amazing. Did a great job. I, I love that. So my number two has, I believe, some incredible ape magic happening in it. I think it's a great suit. But because the Hayes Code or whoever was in charge at the time, the censors got involved, you really couldn't get a close-up of the mo- of the monkey's face or the gorilla's face. I'm going to go with Murders in the Room Org for my number two. It's a Bela Lugosi film. I love this film anyway. I mean, I knew Gamora was involved in that one when I watched it. Dr. Morocco in the Room Org is guilty of four murders so far this week, and by now perhaps a fifth. so disappointed that they had to go in and replace the close-ups of the Gamora gorilla face with an actual, uh, was it a chimpanzee? 
with a chimpanzee. Yeah, yeah, I'm so disappointed that we had to do that. And you know that happens in a couple of these monster movies that I love. You you, you see that, and I think they did it in the Black Scorpion. You know, it's just ridiculous how they kind of change the face so it doesn't match the, the long shots. But for the giant spider. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No, no I, no, I love it. I mean, it's a trope now, but it's so disappointing yeah, you yeah, get a chance that's... to see Charlie's close up. But it's still a good film. I love the murders in the room work. I think Lugosi's underrated anyway, and he's great in this. That's a great pick. Again, like Doctor Cyclops, the the theater uh, showed that recently. No, really? Oh man, it was during the month of October, coinciding with uh, with with Halloween and that they were showing a lot of old Universal movies and a lot of just movies in general. Um, so they showed a 35-millimeter print of Murders in the Room. Oh, where wow. I got to see that. And I hadn't seen it on the big screen before. So, yeah, this last time around, it was I saw The Mummy, Murders in the Room Org, Dr. Cyclops. Uh, I'm trying to think what else we saw. I think it was Brighter Frank- Frankenstein was one of them, I'm going to say. Wow. But it was funny. I'd get home from work. Uh, on a, it was a Tuesday night, a kind of consecutive Tuesday. So I'd get home enough to eat dinner and get back in the car and go up and watch a movie, meet a friend over there and, and watch these movies. So I love watching them on the big screen. But Murders in the Room Org, definitely a strong pick. And um, it was fun to see on the big screen. It's a great film. He plays Eric the Ape in that. And I'm a big fan yes, of it. Yes, and like you very disappointed that they had to go to the close-up of the champ. Oh, well. Let's see. My number two pick is going to be an obvious choice is War of the Worlds. Okay. Just love The Martian. That was my entry point to, to all things Gamora, and uh, it's still, in my eyes, stands the test of time, and I love that design. Just not too long ago, I think, The War of the Worlds, the Spielberg remake was on TV. I think it was a week or two ago. I don't know. I was, TV was on. It, it was on, and I stopped at the point where they're in the farmhouse. The new CGI aliens, I... You know they're they're fine, but I just love this the, the early design. It's just it, it's just amazing. This could be the beginning of the end for the human race. For what men first thought were meteors or the often ridiculed flying saucers are in reality the flaming vanguard of the invasion from Mars. Looks like they're going to come out of that gully pretty soon. We'll have to rush our defenses to be ready when they do. Guy can need plenty of reinforcements. We'll get them. Lieutenant! Look! They slash across country like scythes, wiping out everything that's trying to get away from them. That explains why communication is cut the moment their machines begin moving. Montreal's blacked out. Nothing more has come through. Same thing that happened on the Pacific Coast. Anything from them yet? No, Mr. Secretary. We've had nothing from San Francisco for over five hours. The nations of the world mobilize their armed might, rushing to defend the Earth against the unknown weapons of the super race from the Red Planet. Is there nothing that can stop the Martian death machines? Guns, tanks, bombs. They're like toys against them. We know now that we can't beat their machines. We've got to beat them. All over the world, human beings cower before the onslaught of these unearthly enemies whom no one has ever seen. <laughs> Panic that sweeps around the globe as the great masses of mankind flee blindly in a headlong stampede of hysteria. It's hard to top that, and uh, that's actually my number one. Is it World of Worlds for that reason? Okay. The Martian just looks fantastic in that, and just the way the head moves and the hands, the little sucker fingers, the way they, oh, it's just mm, so good. You know, I don't know if this is going to be a good podcast or not, because listeners are just going to hear me go, oh, it's so good, over and over and over again. (laughs) But it is so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Folks, run out and get this, uh, stream it or buy it, this DVD. You will not be disappointed. No, not There's at so, all. So much information, just so much. Well, that's my number one. I mean, it's it's hard to top War of the Worlds for me. How about you? My number one is I Married a Monster from Oh, Space. okay, okay. That's where I'm going with that. A beautiful, innocent girl on her honeymoon. Her passionate dreams of perfect romance turned into a living nightmare. For this sweetheart she married, the man she had loved, was merely the hollow shell for the invaders from outer space. Bill! (laughs) Who would believe her? Who could help her through the flesh-crawling terror of this unearthly marriage, when anyone she turned to could be one of them? Could she touch the body of this masquerading alien who wanted to learn the secrets of human love? Your race has no women. It can't have children. It will die out. Eventually, we'll have children with you. What kind of children? All kind. Was it true? Could space monsters mate with Earth women? See the startling answer in the shocker of them all. Just, I think my favorite design of his. Just, I love it. In fact, while prepping for this podcast, uh, going and looking at images of the monster, there's a, a garage kit. I think I'm going to have to pull the trigger on and buy it. I, I really love it. Oh, wow. It looks pretty neat. The more we talk about it, the more it's moving its way up to the top of my <laughs> got-to-watch list. So, there you go. I think I know what Derek's going to do on a Saturday night. Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Although, yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, I wanted to bring up a couple of honorable mentions just real quick. There are a couple of other movies that I considered, like Colossus of New York. Yes. Or he's briefly in Island of Lost Souls. Yeah, I had a couple honorable mentions being, you know, Murders of the Room Morgue was definitely on there. And, and uh, I had Curse of the Faceless Man just as a mention. But uh, like I said, I haven't seen it. And that's going to be high on my list to get that uh, get that Blu-ray. Yeah, he just did so much. Now, the documentary itself is available, I believe, through Vimeo. Is that where you have to buy it to watch it? I think so. There is a Charlie Gamora uncredited Facebook page. And there's a link to the Vimeo site from there. And from the Vimeo site, you can rent it for $4.99. It's like an Amazon streaming thing where you can rent it and watch it over like a 48-hour period. Or you can just buy and download the documentary for $20. Okay. Uh, It's through Vimeo, so you can watch it through your computer, uh, Apple TV, Roku, Chromecast. It's all available that way. Yes. This guy really knew what he was doing. The director is credited as J.L. Barnett. Jason Barnett, I believe, is his name. And That's correct, yeah. Yeah, he's part of the Cloud Tank Creative Group. I did reach out to him to get him on the show with me and Mitch this time. I wasn't able to make it happen, but I may try to get him on the show down the line. That'd be fun. It's fascinating because, you know, as I dig deeper, and I'm assuming it's the same for you or any other monster kid who's doing some creative work now, whether it's somebody like Steve who's writing or Mem who's making movies, you know, we, we look into some of the movies that influenced us, and you start to see some of the same people pop up like with war of the worlds and charlie gamora you know you start to see some of these names and these people pop up in our on our past and the movies that we watched or were experienced and it's just nice to know a little bit more about these guys and to see them get their due in a documentary like this well yeah i think every time i watch a movie or you know i'm, I'm on the internet looking something up there's always something that I want to dig more into. And so I always stay and watch credits and I, I'm always looking for more information on, on these artists. And, and that's how I learn. Thank God for the internet. <laughs> and I love that we're in a place now 
where there are documentaries being made about Charlie Gamora, about some of these other filmmakers, that this material is becoming more and more available. And people like us now, we have plenty more movies to watch. You know, I think the only thing that would make it better is if they had like an affiliate page set up (laughs) to where they're selling the movies themselves and make a few more bucks. Because now I'm exactly now I'm interested. Entry. But if you want to see the movies in the documentary, here are the links to purchase those movies, and I'd I'd be all over that. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I Married a Monster from Outer Space is the one that I'm going to watch next. Which one for you? I think I want to get that Curse of the Faceless Man. It's a Man. slightly different mummy movie. It's not like the Universal mummy movies, but still right. fun. It's kind of a, a – was it a uh, Pompeii victim or yeah, yeah, um, kind of entombed in, mm-hmm. in the lava? <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Kind of a stone man, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a little bit more like that, but it's still – you know, I still dig it. Yeah, I think that one. I, I think I'm going to look up some of the gorilla movies. I'm trying to find uh, some of those. I've got Murder's Rue Morgue. Obviously, I have that somewhere around here in one of the Bela Lugosi collections. I think that, yeah, I'm going to look up some of the uh, the gorilla movies because they look pretty interesting. I want to see Ngagi something fierce. Yeah, I got to see if that's even, if there's something out there. Maybe there's something on YouTube or I don't know, somewhere. Yeah, I tried to do some quick looking online and I didn't find much outside of some clips on YouTube. But the way they're presented is like a Vitaphone style reel, so I I don't know if yeah. it's I don't know if it's out there or not. Uh oh, this listing says it's a lost found footage film. Ah, no, okay. I want to see the movie. <laughs> yeah, we'll find it. Some we'll find something. Yes, we'll find yes. something. But yeah, I do want to well, see. There's, there's so much out there to dig through. It's uh, it's just taking the time to do it. Exactly. Huge thanks to Mitch for being part of the show this week. I love that I've got so many creative monster kids out there who have been on the show. Mitch, you are one of the most creative I know. I love your monster work. I'm telling you, man, you make an action figure of X, the fiend from beyond space. I'm there. I'm buying a handful of them. I want an army of X's. Of course, I'd leave one in the box because I'd want you to sign it for me. But other than that, I want an army of X's. And I can't wait to see your new monster in action in Wereskito, Nazi Hunter. Which, by the way, listeners, you can find out more about by going to wearskeeto.com. And yeah, there will be a link in the show notes. There will also be a link in the show notes to the Vimeo page where you can watch Charlie Gamora uncredited yourself. Of course, the trailer is free to watch. You can rent the documentary for $4.99 or you can just buy it and stream it and download it to your computer for 20 bucks. Go to vimeo.com and do a search for Charlie Gamora uncredited. You will not be disappointed. Okay, everybody, that brings us to the end of episode 274 of the podcast. I want to thank you for being part of the show this week by checking it out, by giving us reviews in the iTunes store, liking us on Facebook, retweeting tweets, sharing posts, just supporting the show in any way that you do. It means the world to me. It means the monster world to me. I love doing this show, and I would do it each and every week. And I get to do something new. I get to bring in another supplemental podcast. Because you guys and gals have helped us reach a new milestone as part of our Patreon campaign, my wife is going to be sitting down with me once a month to record an episode of a new show that I'm calling Married with Monsters. Here's the thing. You don't have to do anything different to get this show. It's going to be coming out on the Monster Kid Radio feed probably in the middle of the month or so. I don't have an exact date nailed down, but it will be middle of the month, and you'll hear episode one in mid-July. She and I recently watched a modern horror movie. I guess it's horror, sci-fi, kind of post-apocalyptic. You know what? You're just going to have to stay tuned to find out what that is. And again, 
Thank you for helping us reach that milestone through our Patreon campaign. You can find out more about our Patreon campaign by going to monsterkidradio.net and just clicking on the Patreon button or going to patreon.com slash Monster Kid Radio, and you can find out how you can support the show and score some rewards for yourself along the way. Next week, you're going to hear us do the executive producer roll call for the month. That's another one of the Patreon rewards, getting your name mentioned in this section. Go check it out to check out all the rewards for yourself. One of our goals this year, and we are already halfway through it, is to get to 1,000 likes on Facebook as of this recording, we're at 885 likes. So if you're a Facebook user, please head over to facebook.com slash monster kid radio and give us a like. And if you know anybody, any monster kids, people who love these types of movies, podcast listeners, well, please send them our way over at monsterkidradio.net. We've got everything else you need to know about monster kid radio, like our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And we have a voicemail line. It's 503. 503- 4795657 that's 5034795mkr also over here over on the right you can sign up to receive the monthly email newsletter the monster kid radio gazette typically put that out at the very end of the month but you know what i'm going to give everybody just one more day to get themselves on the list i'm going to put out the june edition on july 1st so if you want an extra dose of monster kid radio goodness in your email box I'm talking about things like a column that I write called the Monster Kid Editorial. Got a crossword puzzle in the works that's going to be in there. Just a lot of stuff that's Monster Kid Radio related, and it's a lot of fun. At least it's a lot of fun for me to put together. I hope you guys and gals dig it. And I hope you guys and gals dig what I've got coming up next week on the podcast. Stephen D. Sullivan is coming back to the show. And between you and me, listeners, he and I have two episodes in the can. So I'm not sure which one's going to play next week. You're just going to have to keep it locked in here in iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use, or just monsterkidradio.net to find out what that is in seven days. Between now and then, please remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song. Invasion of the Eight Men, that belongs to the band The Eight Men. This is from their album Seven Plus Inches of Love. You can find them at the-8men.com. Check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody and Stephen D. Sullivan next week. Ciao.